the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing. Talking nonsense, wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Two sections of two verses. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God.
please don't tell me that you didn't hear the words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but no one ever warned me about words. I smile and I pretend it doesn't hurt, but the older that I get, it just gets worse. Lord, find me and remind me that my worth is worth so much more than their words. Why is it that the church is basically known as the only army that kicks and steps on their wounded when they are down? Why is it that some of the most cantankerous, critical, judgmental people that I have ever known in my life are in the church? Is it possibly because we haven't come to the place where we're ready to submit to the threefold test that John has been placing before us all the way through his first letter, again in the second letter to the church, and now in this third letter to Gaius, a leader of the church to which Second John was written? Once again, John has to write to Gaius about one of the people of the church who was saying wicked, demeaning things about John. Don't you get tired of hearing people say, well, I don't go to that church anymore because somebody once said, blah, blah, blah. Words. You know, sticks and stones do hurt. But I don't think there's a person here that wouldn't admit that the, the pain of words far outlasts the pain of a stick or a stone. I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there was a couple that used to sing that were brother and sister. They called themselves the Carpenters. Richard and Karen. Karen died of complications from from anorexia and nervosa. They traced the history of her disease. And Richard, her brother, is convinced that the day it started was when she was walking up behind a reporter that didn't see her. And the reporter asked Richard, where's that chubby little sister of yours? Words. They hurt. And John has repeated more than once that there are three tests by which we can measure ourselves as to whether or not we are truly Christians. And the first is the doctrinal test. The test of true belief. And John states clearly that the test has to do with whether or not we are walking in the truth. Which he identifies as living as one who not only believes in his or her head, 
but demonstrates by the way that they are living that we believe and that we are willing to confess that Jesus is none other than God who has come to dwell among us in the flesh. Not just a very good person. Not just another man who was born of Mary and Joseph who a bunch of people mistook to say no, it was a virgin birth and all that silly stuff. No. Not even just a great teacher. But God in the flesh. You see, that's the baseline. With truth even being the foundation of true Christian love. Because as John would write, God is love. Second, He's given us the test by which we can know if we're, we are or aren't walking in by faith. Which is demonstrated by our obedient response to God's self-revelation in Christ. You cannot make a practice of sinning, John says, and say that you even know God. Far less that you have been born of God. That's what the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer identified as cheap grace. When we think that we don't have to do anything at all to receive grace, that is not a biblical teaching. We can't earn grace. There's no way we will ever be able to earn grace. But it's not cheap. It costs Third, we show our true belief by means of what John Stott referred to as the social test. Walking by means of love. A love that's demonstrated by our actions rather than just emotions. I am not one who agrees at all with emotionalism. Emotions just for the sake of emotions. And I've been at services where I've had and seen people on the stage just literally trying to hype up the crowd, trying to get their emotions up. No. We need to bring our emotions to church. We need to bring our whole being. But love is about our actions. 1 John 4.20 John says, "He who does not love his brother, whom he has, who he has, no, excuse me, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen." Now, as we were reading the text, and by the way, that was another book in the Bible that you read, Third John. As we were reading the text, did you notice the relationship between this third letter and the second letter that we looked at last Sunday? The third letter from John complements the second letter in that it provides the real issue for the statements on Christian hospitality that we read in 2 John. We just read how John applauds a Christian by the name of Gaius because Gaius was living out the teachings of the apostles. He had welcomed these traveling Christian missionaries into his home. And while also condemning Diotrephes, A selfish, self-centered church leader who not only refused to help these itinerant godly teachers, but he was also slandering and opposing those who disagreed with him. How much more relevant could any document written in the first century be 
with what's going on today than this letter. It's that unfortunately, even in the church and among brothers and sisters, people feel the need to be critical and slander others and say negative things. Don't come to me, please. Don't come to me with a bunch of negative things that you're going to say about one of my brothers and sisters in this church. I'm going to ask you to go take it to them. If you're not willing to do that, keep your mouth shut and pray about it. If you don't have anything good to say, say nothing at all. We've all heard that since our childhood, haven't we? Sometimes we forget that while sticks and stones may break our bones, and even if no one has ever warned us about words, they hurt. They do damage. They cause people to leave the church, often never returning. Because we can't keep our mouths shut. And so, we smile and just pretend that it didn't happen, that it doesn't hurt. And so John writes to the church here in 2 John and to the leader of the church here in 3 John that in order to avoid the dual dangers of false teaching and division within the church, as true believers, we need to be practicing the dual virtues of love and discernment. By the way, did you notice that this letter begins with what appears to be a prayer for Gaius? A prayer for Gaius to prosper? The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes with your soul. John wants Gaius to prosper, both individually and as a leader in the church. And in order to facilitate this, he provides a spiritual yardstick by which Gaius can measure his own progress. And the question which he, he must ask himself, and I think you and I must decide also, is whether or not we are prospering or failing. And the first area, the first means to prosper to which John points to the prayerful good wish that all may go well with you, John adds, even as it goes well with your soul. Your psyche. That's the word he uses. And in this case, John's use of that word soul appears to refer to to our inner life as distinct from our physical bodily life. A wish that all may go well with Gaius' whole person. As indeed, it goes well with his soul. You see, Gaius was demonstrating. He was demonstrating God's love by means of the way he was living. John says, I know what's on the inside of you, and you certainly are prospering externally as well. Now what the elder, what John means by saying these things, uh, by saying that all is going well, is actually spelled out in the next couple of verses. John knows that Gaius' soul is getting along well, and so he can write, It gave me great joy that some of the brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you're walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. That same phrase we saw John use last week. 
The evidence that Gaius was a true believer was not what he was saying with his mouth. The evidence that John was a true believer was not that, or that Gaius was a true believer was not that Gaius could say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The evidence that Gaius was a true believer was the consistency between his words and his actions. He was demonstrating God's love with his life. And the evidence that Gaius' soul is getting along well is the the fact that he remains faithful to the truth. He continues to walk in the truth. And once again, John seems to be emphasizing here that Gaius' faithfulness involves not only holding to correct doctrine, but also persisting in correct living and correct actions. Now, in the context of this letter, That correct action is thought of primarily in terms of providing hospitality to those traveling preachers. But in all three of John's letters, John is thrilled. His joy is made complete, he said, when the readers maintain fellowship with him and walk in the truth. You see, John had evidently received news from the people who had visited Gaius concerning Gaius' faithfulness to the truth. One of the things that traveling people were supposed to do, especially in the church, was when they experienced a house where they were welcomed, where they were treated well, was they were to praise that household, they were to leave their peace with it, and they were to let others know about it as well. So that if by chance they were traveling, they could come and knock on the door and say, hey, we're brothers and sisters you got a place where we can spend the night. And the church would take them in. And apparently that had happened. So let me make sure that we're on the same page. Given the overall context of the three letters of John, Gaius' faithfulness to the truth has to be understood in terms of steadfast commitment to the message of the gospel as it was proclaimed from the very beginning and rejection of the new teachings being spread about by false teachers. I want this to be dramatic. I'm going to step up on my soapbox. If you hear or see someone telling about something new that had been discovered about Jesus Christ and about the Gospel records, you go to your Bible and make sure it's consistent with His Word before you say anything about it to anybody. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if it hasn't been found in 2,000 plus years, it's probably bogus. One of my own acquaintances, a guy who teaches down at Asbury Theological Seminary outside of Lexington, Kentucky, fell to this. He got so excited when they found the carsophagus of James that he started talking about and writing about 
until he found out that it in fact was a forgery and that the writing was done after some cracks that were ancient cracks had been made. And he had to come back with our apology. PhD. Brilliant man. We have the Word of God. We have the teaching concerning who Jesus is. And John is saying we need to make sure that we stay true to that gospel message as it was proclaimed from the beginning. And we need to be rejecting some of those new teachings that are being spread around by false teachers. However, the news that came to John was not only that Gaius held on to the teachings, but that he continued to walk in the truth. That is, he continued to order his life in accordance with the truth. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you, at one time or another, when you were younger especially, saw somebody that was always spoken about as a good Christian doing something that just knocked the wind out of your sails? How can that person be a Christian and do that? How can they be a Christian and say that? How can they treat their brother and sister in Christ in that way and still go to church on Sunday and pretend like nothing ever happened? So in verse 5, John addresses Gaius as beloved, his dear friend, and then he compliments him for providing hospitality. You see, at this point, his purpose doesn't seem to be exhortation anymore, but reinforcement, encouragement. And that's something you and I need to be doing. We need to be encouraging one another. And so, John encourages Gaius to continue what he's doing for such people uh, by adding the phrase... You'll do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. These people were preachers of the truth, John says, as it was from the beginning. So treat them in a manner that befits the way you serve the living God. And in verses 7 and 8, he provides three reasons. One, verse 7, it's for the sake of the name that they went out. For the sake of Jesus Christ. Watch as you read God's Word. Even in the Old Testament, often, in the words through a prophet, God will say, do this for My name's sake. The second reason He gives was that they deserve to be sent on their way in a worthy manner because they went out receiving no help from the pagans. In other words, they would turn away monetary gifts if it wasn't something that really uh, how do I want to say this do you know that there are some people who give to try to salve their consciences well I gave a gift to the church I wonder sometimes if we wouldn't be better to say no thanks You can keep that gift. But the third reason why Christians should help 
others is stated, I think, in verse 8, and this is the one I want to focus on. We ought to show hospitality to people because it's one of the ways that we can, quote, work together for the truth. Work together for the truth. Be fellow workers. So, 2 John 11, John warned his readers against providing hospitality to the false preachers. Uh, for to do so would make them shares in the wicked work. Now, in respect to the faithful, he tells Gaius exactly the opposite. He encourages him to provide that kind of help so that you can be a fellow worker in the good work that's being done. To provide hospitality is just one way to demonstrate our love. And I don't think we need to lock in on providing hospitality. I know people and I know churches that locked in on the foot washing. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, He wasn't saying something you need to do all the time is have somebody at the door with a bucket of water and wash people's feet. What He was doing was saying, this is the way you need to treat other people. You need to be willing to take the role of the least of the servants. Because that's the one that washed the feet. And it's interesting that what had just happened in the Last Supper before Jesus had given that example was that they were arguing among themselves who was the greatest. Who should have the best seat? Who should be heard the most? Who should have the most authority? And so addressing John as his dear friend, he urges him, to not imitate what is evil, but what is good. And when he does that, by doing that, he's going to have a good testimony. And it's doing what is right that is the mark of those who are from God. You see, there's two different words that get used. One of them, doing what is right, is based on the idea of righteousness. The kaiosune. But when he says anyone who does good, that's a, that's a different word. And both the adjective good and the verb to do good are actually found only here in John's letters. He wants to make sure we're not only doing what's right, we're, but we're even doing the good things that we see being done. In our Bible reading, Jesse and I uh, just read that verse again um, yesterday as we were catching up on Friday's reading. Whatever is not done in faith is sin. It doesn't have to be on a list. If there's something that you know that's good that you should be doing it and you don't do it, that's a sin. It doesn't have to be on a list. If there's something that you aren't doing that you know you should be doing and you don't do it, that's a sin. It doesn't have to be on a list. And in verse 12, John's commendation of Demetrius is basically telling Gaius that he should provide Demetrius with hospitality. And that would be especially the case if Demetrius himself was the bearer of the letter which seems to be very likely. And even more so if he was one of those traveling missionaries. But concerning 
This man, John comments, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. Now, we can understand what spoken of good by everyone means, but what's it mean that Demetrius is spoken of even by the truth itself? Well, I think that what John is saying there, as elsewhere in the letter in terms of the word truth, it refers to the truth of the gospel. And therefore the statement must mean something like this. Even his commitment to the truth speaks well of him. And so it is that John could give his own personal commendation. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. For means to prosper. Demonstrating God's love with our life. Walking in the truth. Serving as fellow workers for the truth. And imitating is what is good and having a good testimony. We're done with John. We're done with this series on hope for a shaken world for certainty. So my question for you after these 15, 16 weeks that we've been going through this is what is the measure that you are using to determine whether or not you are prospering or failing as a Christian? And if it doesn't have to do with true belief, true obedience, and true love, then you better go back and read the three letters of John again. Let's pray.